We're living in a twilight world, broadcaster Nichols. Someone needs to tell that to Richard Dean Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, It's some sort of Jaffa revenge thing, I think. (laughs) Jaffa (laughs) Cree! He says that to every sub sandwich he gets, dude. He definitely goes to Dirty Mike's, gets a fucking foot, a fucking giant number nine Mike's way, and he's just like, God fuck you. <laughs> that is the funniest thing I've heard in 2021, Broadcaster Nichols. Congratulations. <laughs> I I can, all I can think of now is super fat Richard Dean Anderson just pointing at a Subway sandwich and saying, God fuck <laughs> I keep on looking at this fucking Steve Bannon ass picture of him. <laughs> Just like, God damn it, dude. Oh. You've been eating too much D Mikey. <laughs> Put on your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch, because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Cellar. As the prophecy was once foretold, I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel. And I'm high in the clouds, Broadcaster Nichols. It's a new year, Broadcaster Nichols. The year 2021 promises to be so much better than the last year. Don't you agree? I identify as 2022 (laughs) resident. I'm hibernating this year. We are not hibernating this year. We have big changes on the podcast, Broadcaster Nichols. Big changes. Are you excited? Yes, if you're talking about my uh, mescaline peyote vision that I had in the <laughs> desert, where I came up with a patent, patented new scale system, ranking system, if mm. you will. Leaving Las Vegas, another great Nick Cage movie I forgot about. Listen, we're not here to talk about the movies I did not specifically put into this ranking system. What are you doing? Submarining this episode. So in the year 2021, we will be officially retiring the patented official Joker rating system, and we will be replacing it with the official patented Nick Cage rating system, of which broadcaster Nichols is the chief architect. You might be asking yourself, a lot of questions right now like who am i where did the joker system go will it ever come back is my mom my real mom these are things we can't answer for you but what we can tell you is every year we will put our absolute minimum effort into giving you a sloppy ranking system all right (laughs) just the sloppiest of sloppies all right that's indisputable (laughs) Sloppy and indisputable. That's what we like to say. (laughs) Sloppy and indisputable. (laughs) That's not the only change, Broadcaster Nichols. We are also going to be doing away 
with our non-spoiler review segments. So that from, we sometimes adhere to. <laughs> so from now on, when you get to a review, you better fucking believe you're getting your ass spoiled from the get-go. There will be no warnings. Actually, there will be a warning, but can we cool get the, can we get the cool Mega Man boss entry, or will we get dinged for that? Mm. Can we do the wah wah wah? <laughs> well, we actually already did that, Broadcaster Nichols, and if you ever listened to any of our episodes, you'd know that. Uh, <laughs> really, we will retain that. <laughs> that sound effect, we will retain that. Uh, Broadcaster Nichols, have you been following the great civil war of Disney and Lucasfilm? Roughly. According to my inside people, there are about two people that work there or contracted there that actually give a shit about the IP that they're paid to make Mm. content for. (laughs) Yeah. People are John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically, there are uh, three camps, from what I'm told. There are the original holdovers from George Lucas, who are apolitical. There are the Kathleen Kennedy people, which are very much in the the woke camp. And then there is John Favreau, our hero, and Dave Filoni, who are independent contractors within Lucasfilm. So we talked early on about Mando. I think back when we did the review of season one a year ago, we talked about the fact that John Favreau sort of just swooped in out of nowhere with broad sweeping creative control. And not only that, he like had a two week sleepover at the Skywalker ranch right before he started filming season one of the Mandalorian. It always felt weird. It always felt like odd this. Like, why is John Favreau showing up and just basically taking over, taking notes from George Lucas? And the missing piece about this is quite simple. Kathleen Kennedy had absolutely no control this over Palpatine Mandalorian. In disguise. <laughs> so Kathleen Kennedy before the Mandalorian, had 100% control over all Star Wars properties. Now, once Star Wars properties started to sink like the Titanic and they brought Jon Favreau in to do the Mandalorian, they gave him a special deal. He had full creative control. He He did not have to take any suggestions or notes from anyone above him on creative choices in the show. And this pissed off Kathleen Kennedy to no end she apparently gave him bucket loads of notes on the mandalorian and he ignored all of them (laughs) he didn't take a single one of her suggestions and after the mandalorian just lit the world on fire and became like the new game of thrones and the new number one show on television kathleen kennedy got very butthurt over it and hence starts this new civil war because I don't know if you've noticed or not, Broadcaster Nichols, but the John Favreau camp is expanding. It's it's not contracting. We have the Book of Boba Fett coming this year. We do, but we also have a lot of other crap coming this year that has Kathleen Kennedy's right. agenda all over it. Right. So so there's a bunch of Star Wars shit coming out. And it's all divided into the two these two camps of Kathleen Kennedy versus John Favreau. 
We have Mando and we have Book of Boba Fett from John Favreau and everything else is Kathleen Kennedy. Now, what yeah. do you think is going to happen if continued success follows John Favreau and Kathleen Kennedy's little defunct Star Wars projects just keep getting panned and bombing like they have been? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, if you were to really look at like, take yourself back, that's already happened. Everything Kathleen Kennedy has been attached to Star Wars wise has been a tragedy. And everything John Favreau done, has done in his life, his life, starting with swingers, been, yeah, has been golden. So, <laughs> I mean, if you're really looking at this objectively, there's just less than a point zero zero one percent chance that Kathleen is going to come even close to touching John, whatever John does. Ooh, that you know? sounded vaguely sexual for a second. <laughs> it might've been. <laughs> yeah. It, if we're talking like leaderboard here, like mortal, remember like the mortal Kombat arcade game where it like started at the bottom of like a demonic tower and just kept going up till you got to Goro and Shang Tsung. At this point, Kathleen Kennedy is the first fighter you fight at the very bottom of the tower. She isn't even, she's not Goro. She she's not even like the strong normal character before Goro. Remember that? Like right before you got to Goro, it would be a normal character, but it would be like a supercharged version of that character. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. She ain't even that. She's she's like the little appetizer now. And <laughs> if if that continues and that gulf keeps spreading, what happens? Like, do they just say, fuck it, fire Kathleen Kennedy and give John Favreau everything? Because I think that that might actually take away from the specialness of what he's doing. I think it's vengeance. Uh, I think he. This is this is a thing with him, not just a job. I don't think I don't think the Mandalorian is a job. I don't think that the Book of Boba Fett's a job. I think that him and George Lucas are on a holy mission right now, and it's to take back Star Wars from within. And it's fucking working, Broadcaster Nichols. Well, you sound like one of them zealots. <laughs> <laughs> one of them. <laughs> one of those uh, capital rushing uh, QAnon <laughs> Viking horn wearing. I mean, patriots. Again, if you if I were to like really look at this situation objectively, I would say, you know, Disney has played their ultimate hand with the future with deciding the future of star Wars, because I don't think anybody worth their salt at Disney is in agreement with Kathleen Kennedy. I think everybody knows essentially that she shouldn't have the job she has. Like she, there's better people fit for it, but the problem is, and you know, and this, you know, this is something people don't like, talking about but it's true it's just it's blatantly true it's the only thing that can't be unexplained or like explained away is the fact that she's a woman like i think they're afraid to fire her because she's such a high up position and she her whole agenda is like a like you know a super diverse you know ideal you know ideology ideology driven content and no one likes it but they can't be the ones to take her out we they can't be just be like well 
we're just going to get rid of her because her shit didn't work out a few times. Mm-hmm. Now they're pitting her against the best they have, John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Yeah. You know, and now it's going to come down to a death match. <laughs> it is. Kathleen gets to make her shit. John and uh, Dave get to make their shit. And whoever wins gets to keep running the ship, you know? <laughs> I think that's how it's honestly going to go. And I think, because yeah. John, I don't think, wants anything to do with an executive producer role or, or at Disney, you know? No. I don't think he really does. But I think Dave would. I think it's one of his biggest dreams, probably, to get into something like that, because then he could really start to head the ship of Star Wars. And I think that would ultimately be the best plan going forward for disney and i think that's ho- i think that's what they're slowly gonna hope for that plays out here in the future like once yeah. the high republic fails and book of boba fett comes out and it's because if the book of boba fett as a standalone ser- one season series is just as good as mandalorian it's game over for kathleen there's <laughs> i just can't i can't imagine that anything she comes out with is going to be as good and then we have another season of Mandalorian to look forward to. No, no, she's, I, she's, I can't even imagine how a season of television about Boba Fett doing a hostile takeover on Jabba's palace and running shit for 10 episodes of television. How could that not be gold? Like, how could he be fuck real that here? Up? <laughs> I don't know if it's a real hostile takeover. It looks like. About five people were, <laughs> were well, running the shop. <laughs> let's just say the defenses weren't at maximum when he arrived. <laughs> it looked like he kind of just came in and swept up the place a little bit. <laughs> decided he'd stay there. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's been another shot across the bow. Uh, uh, was it Dave Filoni? I think it was Dave Filoni. Um, he made a tweet... Basically saying, I grew up with Luke Skywalker on my wall, and like he t- he tweet pictured like a picture of Luke standing next to the sand speeder from A New Hope, the original Star Wars. He's like, I had this on my wall growing up, and it was so great to be able to bring him back to life uh, as this version of Luke Skywalker that I grew up with, or blah blah blah. And that's all fine, well and good, but. But Mark Hamill himself, Luke Skywalker, responded to this tweet with a little bit of a passive-aggressive jab at Kathleen Kennedy, or I guess Rian Johnson, too, if you want to be specific, saying, you know what? It was my honor, and it was great to be able to bring back an expected opportunity to bring back the Luke Skywalker that was seen as hopeful. <laughs> and you're just looking at this like oh that Did I, I mean, take it down <laughs> mate i don't know uh it could have been for all i know but it was posted originally and when you look at that and it's just like that is a direct shot at the disney trilogy that is a direct shot at rion johnson and kathleen kennedy saying you ruined luke skywalker and i'm with these guys so mark hamill is on team favreau if you had any question or doubt He's on Team Favre. It will be well. I mean, obviously, they got the man himself to <laughs> to greenlight it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll be. It's the fact that they got Luke Skywalker. I mean, they kind of started by ending 
the uh, let me start over the end of season two of Mandalorian kind of showed that they were willing to go to the mountaintop with assets in this universe. It's just like, boom, here's Luke Skywalker. Who else gave you that? We gave you Boba Fett. We gave you Luke Skywalker. We gave you Ahsoka Kano. We gave you, we name dropped fucking uh, Thrawn. We name dropped uh, Mandalore. We we showed you the dark saber. We gave you a fucking baby Yoda. (laughs) You know, there's, I don't think, you can, I mean, if you're just a, a non-Star Wars fan and you just like Mandalorian, you're kind of coming into this and you see all this and it's just cool and you're kind of, you're older and you remember and back to all this stuff. It's not that a super, super big deal to you. But if you are a Star Wars fan and you've been seeing all the content up to this and you really understand that every time a Star Wars fan has ever gotten a piece of content, it's been breadcrumbs. Essentially, mm-hmm. it's not a main trilogy movie. It is breadcrumbs with sometimes great storylines, but they are working with breadcrumbs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden you get fucking Mandalorian. And it's it, like, again, at the top of the mountain, they were just like, here's Luke Skywalker. Who Who's going to beat us? <laughs> who's who's competing here <laughs> who's you know what's kathleen kennedy gonna give you in the high republic that is taking place during an over i, I wouldn't say oversaturated but everything that they've done that's not the old republic is our knights of the old republic has been a botch job mm-hmm. keep in mind knights of the star wars knights of the old republic two was made in one year. God. Curse upon ye souls that give us this Star Wars trash that takes three, four mm-hmm. years to develop, you know, and you still can't get it right. I'm sure Squadrons like, took like five years to develop. I hope not. I guarantee you it did, man. No way. God, that's <laughs> It's. Co- the original KOTOR is definitely the best. It's a great classic, but it's KOTOR 2 is really fucking good too, man. What a Consider great sequel. <laughs> a lot of people consider it better in every way. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if some people... I mean, the Sith Triumvirate, fucking Sion and Nilus and fucking Treya. Like, th- talk about just like a group of gangster Sith that you never saw coming. Hell no. God, Scion. I remember Scion looked like something out of Hellraiser. Just like, just like, whoa, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Yeah, yeah. Star Wars definitely had some greater days in the past, and uh, you know, Kathleen Kennedy is very upset that we might be going back to those great days. She doesn't want that to happen, and uh, she has made it known in the the Civil War of Lucasfilm that she will not stand for the good version of Luke Skywalker to exist because she erased him and she's upset about that, that he's been brought back. So she has laid an edict out that John Favreau will not be allowed to use Luke Skywalker in any further seasons of Mandalorian period. That is her edict that she has laid down. According to rumor, this is all rumor 
but apparently that is what's going on at Lucasfilm right now. She has she has put her foot on the ground and said, "I will not stand for him bringing back the awesome, hopeful version of Luke Skywalker that I maimed with a battle axe." <laughs> <laughs> So we're in for some interesting times, Broadcaster Nichols. Oh, I think we're in for some glorious times. Mm. And speaking of glorious times, are you ready to get to our preview of Michael Waldron's Loki? I'm actually really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it in your pants, Broadcaster. What's that? You want more crack seller? <laughs> this is good. Join your lords on Twitter at the crack seller and Facebook.com slash the crack seller. Hey, you over there. Are you a straight up Chad or a strong woman? Well, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcasting app. Or if you're a straight up beta cuck, find us on YouTube with the rest of the cloud chasers. And we're back with our preview of Michael Waldron's Loki and broadcaster Nichols. I haven't seen Owen Wilson in anything in ages, and he just shows up randomly in some show, some weird Loki spinoff TV show on Disney Plus. What the fuck? That's how Owen Wilson does it now. All right. <laughs> he's given the world all the comedy he he's want to give. All right. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, right off the bat, we get this classic, classic Owen Wilson line where he's in the elevator with Loki and he's he's like, well, I know you like to talk and you just lied because I know you like to talk. You like to talk. Talky, 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 doing like a little fucking like hand motion talking at him. That was some classic Owen Wilson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I wasn't a big fan of that comedy, to be honest. I thought it was very stale. I was like, I, I get what they're trying to do. It's like Owen Wilson. They're like, hey, here's, an, <laughs> here's a super Owen Wilson comedy exactly. line. But I was, I was just like, man, you guys could have done it better than that. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not a... I hope it's not a sign of bad comedy writing. I really hope it's not. But the rest of the trailer looks dope. There's so many Easter eggs in it. Mm. Well, that was my favorite part of the trailer. So I think we have opposite takes on this whole Loki business. Uh, Oh, God. I thought that Owen Wilson, as an old guy in an elevator, was great. He was made to be an old guy in an elevator. (laughs) Those buttons. You see those buttons? Well, I'm pretty sure. Archelic buttons with, like, many symbols and... Looked like something Dr. Daniel Jackson would be translating to get the Stargate going. Indeed, because it actually is a time-traveling device. Oh, shit. We're into, so the, we're into it now, Broadcaster Nichols. Please illuminate. The TVA is the time venture. Uh, or it stands for Time Something Agency. And it... um. They're essentially just the time police. 
people that jump back in time or like fuck up the timeline or have like a really bad version of themselves corrupting the timelines or something like that. We're the people that try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure Owen Wilson is playing Mobius. Mobius or Morbius? I think it's Mobius. It's Mobius v. Mobius or something like that. (laughs) It's a really weird name, but I'm I'm pretty damn sure he is. That's who Owen Wilson is. Mm. Interesting. It is going to be interesting because it looks like it hops around a bunch of timelines. And my biggest, the cool, well, just before I go there, did you notice the same thing I saw where um, it looked like Scarlett Johansson sitting down looking at that planet? I guess that's not Scarlett Johansson. I guess a bunch of people dug into it. I guess they zoomed in a lot. I guess it's like the main female um, lead in the show that hasn't had a lot of screen time yet. But they have like set photos of her and stuff, and they've analyzed her her clothes and stuff like that. And I guess that's who it is. So I was just gonna get that out of the way because I was gonna talk about it, and I had a feeling you were gonna bring it up too. Well, they did uh, that on purpose, then. I think they did because yeah. I instantly, my brain instantly went to that. But the cool thing about this is, is that that female lead, uh, the, the big, the most plausible theory going around right now is that she's a female Loki. And this is actually a super cool uh, comic book run that that it's probably going to be based on if it's true Mm. and that I'm kind of stoked for. And there was also the one other thing I picked up on. Well, I, I think only comic fans would pick up on was the vote Loki thing at the very end where he had the vote pin on it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people looking at this, will probably think, oh, they're probably trying to do some weird, like, relevant fucking political bullshit or something like that, which they, they're going to have the opportunity to, and I really hope they don't. Kevin Feige's a really good producer, so I, I'm, I'm hoping he has the fucking brain power to realize that's not a smart move with such a small, limited-run series where they're trying to get people to fucking get this premium service. Anyways, yeah. nonetheless, it's based on an 2016 comic run long Mm. before any of this crap ever happened you know it was based around when hillary clinton and donald trump were running against each other i have the whole run it's awesome (laughs) it's a really good uh it's i think it's like 12 issues or something like that but nonetheless the trailer just jumps all over the place so i'm thinking it's gonna be like a bunch of cool loki stories crammed in to a season well they do describe this as a mini series yeah i think it's all of them right the falcon and winter soldier and wandavision wandavision i don't think was ever described as a mini series did you see that described as a mini series i i've only seen it specifically with loki and the the falcon and uh what's his name winter soldier guy i think it is bucky Bucky, right? Bucky Bonds. Did I get it? I got it. Bucky. Okay. Yeah, so interesting. Well, hmm. It's interesting because the the old MCU was supposed to be phased out, 
When when Endgame ended, it was all okay. All these guys are gone now. Out with the old, in with the new. We're gonna have, uh, we're gonna have um, Captain Marvel, and we're gonna have Wanda Sykes, and we're gonna have some purple-haired chick with a mohawk and a wheelchair, and you know we have all this, and all these old white men are gonna go off to the cornfield. Well. That actually isn't true. It seems like they just transferred the old MCU to TV. Well, I think there's always like this idea in the entertainment industry. Well, sorry, in the comic industry where they have this series explains this character and this series explains this two these two characters and then we have eight other series that explain all these bits and pieces that come together to make one big storyline. And then they make a giant event story, uh, like event comic where it's like the big splash, you know? And if you didn't read all these other comics, then you don't quite know what's going on. You know, the, the main event will tell you, we'll do some brief caps, but heroes will come out of nowhere and there'll be like pairs of people or certain groups of people in buildings or in facilities doing other things that were at the very end of others, uh, tail ends of uh, comic series. And you just be like, what the fuck's going on? And I think that's what Kevin Feige is trying to do with the MCU. I think he's trying to bring that into video format where you're going to have things like WandaVision and Captain Falcon and stuff that are mini runs that if you don't watch them, you don't, it's not super critical, but like going forward, like say phase four, I guarantee you there's going to be shout outs to WandaVision and stuff like that. I guarantee you for the people in the know. Okay. And, they, and it backfired pretty bad in the comic industry. It's one of the main reasons the comic industry is being crippled beyond a lot of other problems, but I'm just saying it's just one of the pillars of corruption going on in the comic book industry. Mm. And I fear that's kind of what's going on here that they don't quite think that the new actors that are going to start phase four are quite up to snuff, you know? So they're, they're going to do these limited run series to let all the fans chew on something while cooking up all these theories and see how the fans react in the background and then change things as they need to. And then when about when all their old content or old actors are done, they should have something that people like, you know, the think tanks approved it. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Uh, I'm much more convinced that, uh, Zack Snyder is going to bring the DC back to prevalence way before the phase, whatever of MCU is a success. Because everything I've seen of the new MCU sucks in terms of film. But everything I've seen in terms of television has been pretty good or promising. Very interesting there, isn't it? Well, I mean, I guess it just matters who's directing it, you know? Yeah. Because all of it's written by the, you know, the approved people and, you know, comes down eventually from kevin feige so well i think what happened is that they made all these bold declarations and after they realized no one was buying it and that everything was gonna bomb they're like well wait let's just bring them all back then and then they're like no because then we'll look like idiots because we told them they're all gone now like wait a second we have a streaming service called disney plus 
Let's bring them there. Then we're we never lied to them because they're not in the movies. They're on Disney Plus. Yeah, well, I mean, Loki in in the other series that are coming out, it I I hope they are limited run series. I hope they're all just one season. I really hope these serious actors aren't like just making or, or breaking their uh their oath to serious acting and just doing television shows because that was the biggest thing that's ever happened in their careers. And that's where they're just going. They're all pretty young still. Like none of these people are so old to the point where it's like, yeah, why don't you go do a few seasons of a television show and retire? (laughs) So (laughs) it worries me a little bit if they all go past the season. (laughs) Well, I for one am very excited for season 16 of WandaVision. Okay. But yeah, but I mean, you know, to briefly go back to the MC, I'm hopeful that they get the right people in for the right roles, you know, for like Reed Richards as Mr. Fantastic, um, uh, Ben Grimm as the thing, you know, like all like I really hope that all these roles are filled properly and we get <laughs> yeah, some good, good films. I mean, not all of them have to be rock stars, right? I mean, all we got, I mean, all it took was Iron Man, right? We got Robert Downey Jr. It took one Robert Downey Jr. to really fucking <laughs> carry the MCU. <laughs> so they just need another uh, Hugh Jackman, oh, yeah. RDJ, and, uh, or and or by the way, like uh, broadcaster Nichols, who who was it behind the original Iron Man? John Favreau could could it possibly be the person trying to save Star Wars right now, broadcaster Nichols? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you said earlier that uh, Star Wars isn't work for John. I just don't think work is work for John. I think that man, everything he does is like a passion to him. He moves on, (laughs) yeah. Yep. Well, interesting. We have another comedy-based MCU take. That seems to be a common trend nowadays, wouldn't you say? Indeed. I know you haven't seen WandaVision yet, but I have seen the first two episodes of WandaVision. And let me tell you, it's basically a comedy show for the first two episodes. That's what it is. It is a comedy television show. Is it good comedy? I'll leave that for you and Richard Dean Anderson to decide. Yeah, well, the comic that I think it's semi-based on is supposed to be a dark comedy. So well, the darkness so far is not where not as high as I expected, and the comedy is much higher than I expected. So take that for what you will. It's only the first two episodes, but no, I'll just say I'm a little surprised at what I saw in those first two episodes. Uh, Loki on trial. So uh, this the show, if you're to judge based off of the trailer, is basically that Loki used the Tesseract to try and escape and then found himself on some desert planet where he was apprehended by Asian Eskimos in the desert who took him to a place called the TVA where he met Owen Wilson in a magical elevator. Does that that cover it about right? And, uh, yeah. Owen Wilson's Uh, taken him to a special trial where three heads are on the wall with different facial expressions and shit's about to get real. 
Well, yeah, the, the one thing that the trailer is kind of nebulous about, but seems, to, I mean, once you review it, it's almost certain that that's the main plot to the series is that there's that hooded villain that clearly is screwing up the timeline. And that's why the TVA is giving Loki some type of chance to go throughout the timelines. Cause if you look in the trailer, like one of the timelines he goes to is a destroyed uh, New York where you can see the Avengers tower destroyed. It kind of looks like um, uh, if Avengers won the first movie, Loki won the invasion of New York. Mm -hmm. It kind of looks like that. So, and there's a couple other areas that he goes to. So I think the main thing is almost like a time cop thing going on where he's traveling through these timelines to try to catch this version of himself. And this is where the main theory comes in that it's the female Loki. Cause that's why no one's seen the main female lead yet because they're keeping it hush hush. Cause she's probably going to end up being, cause if you look at her, uh, you put some black hair on her and you give her a crown. She definitely looks like the female Loki. So we'll, we'll see. Hmm. But I think, th- I think that's the main plot to the, to the show. And it's him jumping around different times to try to catch this hooded victim. And if you really have a keen eye um, at the beginning of the trailer, where it shows you the end of Endgame or that part in Endgame where Loki disappears with the Tesseract, he has he he's used to that artifact. He has complete control over it. He's like he should be able to control the timeline pretty nimbly. So the fact that he just becomes adrift on a desert planet and gets picked up by the time bureau or whatever means most likely he got fucked with in the, the you know the time traveling tunnel or the wormhole or whatever which means that hooded person that's fucking with time probably did it to him jacked the tesseract because he doesn't have a tesseract when he wakes up in the sand mm-hmm. so i think that's kind of where the series is going to be yeah, and it seems like the series is using that same uh, green screen tech for Mandalorian, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. I, it's a good sign for television shows going forward, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny because people call the golden age of television, I think they call it like 2010 to like 2016. I think that's what people consider it, like where you had like... Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. You had all these shows that like were just everyone loved all going at the same time, kind of. I think we're in for another golden age of television based off of what I'm seeing. The trends in Hollywood, the trends in the world with uh, just movies kind of bombing, theaters going out of business, everyone sitting at home in their little prison cell. I mean, their apartment uh it just seems like all the focus is kind of going towards tv now and movies are kind of becoming an afterthought yeah well i'll tell you what hbo is in pristine position to take over the video entertainment industry because they're going to be they were already making the best television shows and they have all the warehouses and stuff. They didn't have all the directors that know how to do it, pace the writing and all that stuff. So if that is the future, then may, fuck, maybe even Showtime comes back. What, what if you saw a resurgence of Showtime? Skin of Max. 
Well, it makes sense. Like, you think about it. If the theaters are shut down and no one's going to theaters anymore, HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, those were the theaters in your house. That's what they were back in the day. And they could become that again, for real, if they play their cards right. Itself. And I will say that all these streaming services you can sign up for on the internet is starting to look a lot like cable packages. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a real problem, too. That's why piracy is back on the rise again. Yeah. I just don't know how more people don't see it. It's like it's just it's it totally just shows you the slow boil method is a very viable method. Mm-hmm. You can fool anybody in that with that method. Yeah, I know it's funny too because all I ever saw like in the late two thousands and the early twenty tens was like, what are we gonna do about cord cutters? Oh God, the cord cutters, cord cutter this, cord cutter that. You never hear anyone talk about cord cutters anymore, do you? Well, I think that's because advertisements have evolved. Now they can advertise on pretty much every single bit of content online. Yeah, well, it's because they figured out the solution. <laughs> They've transferred the cord back to the people that cut it. Basically, Very true. basically they pulled a tenant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm proud to say I've never actually paid for a streaming service in my life. Oh, shit. I well besides Amazon because I have Amazon Prime, so I technically get Amazon Video, but that's just by default. So, so basically, you watch The Expanse legitimately, and everything else you steal. You're a thief, broadcaster Nichols. No, no, I I get my all my entertainment through legitimate means. Uh, (laughs) Netflix. I use one of my buddies' accounts that pays for the five. (laughs) membership uh premium <laughs> family ship member <laughs> membership premium i think it's called i don't know <laughs> look at i'm nervous man I... <laughs> for hulu i use uh john rittenhouse's shadow <laughs> account it's kyle rittenhouse kyle God rittenhouse. Damn. my alt right credit is out very... the window now you've ruined me broadcaster nichols he's a colleague I will not have his name disrespected. He's a colleague and a friend. Okay. <laughs> oh shit. So uh all right, so uh yeah, best thing to come out of Endgame. Michael Wald- Waldron's Loki. What say you, broadcaster Nichols? Thumbs up, thumbs down, or the dreaded side thumb. Give it a thumbs up. Mm. Yeah. Looks yep. better than Endgame. Oh god. It looks better than Captain Marvel. It looks better <laughs> than Ant-Man 2. It looks better than Sex in the City 3. The search yeah, for well, more maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Let's not go too far here. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, I'm I'm going to give it a thumbs up as well. I'm going I'm not going to lie though. If uh Owen Wilson wasn't in this show, I probably would have given it a side thumb. But he tips it. He tips the scale up to the thumbs up in my uh, For sure. my humble biased opinion. Broadcaster Nichols, are you ready to get to a review that has been faded, that has been destined since the beginning of time or since the end of time? Who is to know? 
I of course speak of Tenet. Are you ready to review Tenet? I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. And we're back with our review of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And the creator of this movie describes it as the following, armed with only one word, Tenet, and fighting for survival for the entire world. A protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Broadcaster Nichols, what in the fuck was the afterlife pill? What is it? What is that metallic pill? Tell me. CoQ10. <laughs> Someone should do like a um a deep fake where they put like uh the InfoWars store onto that pill. <laughs> Super male vitality. I, I just I was trying to think. I was just, just you know raking my mind trying to think of the closest thing that I've ever seen to that pill. And the only thing that came to reference was one of an ex-employee of mine <laughs> was really into QAnon and federal conspiracies. Yeah. And uh, he thought Q- CoQ10 was like the m- miracle drug that made you immortal, mm. give you 90 more years of life. <laughs> He's like, take it forever. And you'll... <laughs> He's, I think even I was like, well, anyways, go... <laughs> that's another story. Mm-hmm. I, I've noticed that all the, the energy drink companies are starting to put CoQ10 into their energy drinks, which I find to super be amusing. CoQ10. Super, super CoQ10. <laughs> yes. If you look at the label, it's super creatine, super CoQ10. Super BCAAs. <laughs> Ultra. Uh, so, so what do you think here? Uh, this movie ended up being a lot different than what I thought it was going to be. When I, I don't know about you. Actually, I do know. I know you didn't do this, but I did. I went back and I listened to our preview of Tenet from back in, God, May or June or something of last year. That damn. It was a long time ago. And I was listening to our preview of it. And, you know, we we were on the right track with some of this stuff. But one thing I noticed is that we were giving this movie way more credit than it really deserved with, like, the crazy twists that we were coming up with and, like, our theories. You about. were coming up with. <laughs> well, no, you, you definitely had some stuff, too, that you put forward that was a lot more mind-bending than what actually ended up happening. Oh, yeah. But I was definitely the main purveyor of the the crackpot theories in that episode, for sure. But we were both there, and I was... We were both there. (laughs) I was a little further off the plank than you, but you were definitely standing on the same wooden structure. Let's just put it that way. Uh, I was not alone in this insurrection. (laughs) 
<laughs> stand down and stand by, broadcaster Nichols. Uh, this movie ends up being much more straightforward than I expected. I was surprised going, like, when I got to about the halfway point. And so, so I guess we'll just, just talk about this right now. This movie ends halfway through the movie. And then at the halfway point, the movie starts going in reverse. And that sounds really weird if you haven't seen the movie. But if you have seen this movie, and I'm assuming you have if you're listening to this, it's not that weird. Everything that happens in the second half of the movie is what happened in the first half from a different perspective going in a different direction of time. Which also sounds very confusing if you haven't seen the movie. Man, Indeed. this movie is confusing. This but is it's, a it's it's odd in a way because usually the one of the first things I try to do when I watch like a thriller or like um, any type of movie where there's like a mystery or something to solve, I try to identify it immediately. I look for mannerisms. I try to look for the killer. I try to look for the like the villain or whatever immediately. It's like the it's my it's my number one thing I like to do with movies or video games for that matter. And this movie pretty much tells you immediately like the secret that you think is the secret, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you're picking up on what I'm saying, but like in the very beginning when they're doing the first job and like that guy saves him and he runs away with the mask and he, he's talking in reverse. It's the mm-hmm. first time you hear it and stuff. And that I, I feel like that scene is perfectly constructed because it's, it has half of the essence of, Here's the scene. Here's the linchpin that you're going to look back on once you watch the movie and figure it out. But at the same time, the other half already kind of telling you and it's kind of in your face. And I picked up on it immediately. I was just like, oh, well, that's him. That's him in reverse. Mm. (laughs) You know, like I almost immediately picked up on it. But then when you watch the movie, you realize that's not the big twist. Like, I don't think Christopher Nolan, like, expected you know, that to be the big epiphany with this movie. Mm-hmm. The big epiphany with this movie is understanding the fucking end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I have a different take on that. It's interesting that you say that it was such authority. I totally came up with a different theory about that whole uh, thing. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. I want to go back to the fact that this, this movie just ended up being a much more, even though it's still confusing and it's still bafflingly weird, it's much more straightforward than the trailer or trailers made it seem. In the trailers, they splice together different footage of time going backwards and forwards sort of at the same time, and they kind of splice scenes together in a deceptive way that made you think the movie was sort of all happening at the same time. But it wasn't. The, the, the first part of the movie, the first half of the movie, was 100% going forward in time. And the second half of the movie was almost 100% going backwards in time, except for the parts where it wasn't, which was also very confusing. I would say that is the most confusing part of this movie. It's not the first half. The first half is super basic, super not confusing, to the point where I was like, wow, this movie is not... I was expecting much more complicated shit than this. 
you get start going backwards once we get to the the point where the movie actually ends and it starts going in reverse when he goes into the time inversion machine that's when things start to get a little bit more confusing a little bit more complicated but still we don't have this interweaving of forward and backwards in time like I expected. I expected this movie to kind of interweave the two and it not to be so straightforward as just first half forward, second half backwards. Much more cut and dry. I mean, in that one, in that in that aspect alone, for sure. And you are right. The, it's it's the hopping back and forth. And I'd say about 70 to 80 percent of the scenes do a really good job to define uh, if they're going back or forward, but I, there's a good chunk of the movie where there's such quick scenes. And, you know, if you're not really super paying attention and it's already a long movie at that, you get confused. You're just like, wait a minute. Was that the reverse world or was that the forward world? And by yeah. the end of the movie, for instance, me, I'll be honest, by the time I got to the end of the movie, I had to go back like a half an hour or so just to understand what was happening at the end of the movie. Cause I was just like, wait a minute, you know, but then it all made sense to me. You know, I realized, you know, uh, you you're know, talking about like the, the, uh, the invasion of Stossel 12 or whatever that Russian, uh, city was. Yeah. It yeah, just that like, part was confusing. It, it, it accelerates really fast <laughs> and yeah. Well, the thing, the thing that was weird about it to me in the second half is that they they start going backwards so in it's weird because he starts going backwards but then they stop going backwards and they sort of reorient themselves to being forward again but the the movie doesn't do a good job of telling you when that switch happens why that switch happens or how that switch happens it's sort of well, just like yeah. it just happens and you're just supposed to understand it. That's yeah. And that's where like the paradox at the end happens where like Robert Pattinson pretty much like tells him we've already done this, you know, and that, you know, he's like, well, did the plan work? And he's just like, we're just beginning it, <laughs> you know, and like he's like going to the helicopter. It really. Yeah, it's it's something you really have to wrap your head around. Yeah. Yeah, when when the the main character, by the way, is called the protagonist, he doesn't have a name, which ah uh, yeah, which is very weird. But it does lend itself to one of my favorite lines in the entire movie, where he he goes up and he's just like very indignantly says, "I am the protagonist of this operation." <laughs> I love that line for some reason. Uh, this guy once he inverts himself in the inversion machine and starts going backwards. You sort of just think, okay, he's going backwards now. Until they say otherwise, he's going backwards. Well, they never say otherwise. So if yep. you weren't paying attention, you would just think he was going backwards the entire rest of the second half of the movie. But in fact, once they get back to the plane job, they somehow reorient themselves to being forward moving again. It's a very odd... I think that's the biggest weakness of this movie is I think I think Nolan should have done a better job explaining how they reorient themselves forward once they're going backwards, because that to me is like the kind of MacGuffin of the movie. It's sort of just like 
it just happens and it it, it happened because it needed to well, happen and that's i think why, he's, you know? i think he's like doing some type of like suspend the disbelief and just think that they went back to that room that has the gateway you know but i don't know it just doesn't it just seems too convenient it's just like they went all the way back there like and they all went at different times when they knew that no one was going to be around and and they could get away with what they needed to get away with. <laughs> it just seems weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's weird because this movie, it's basically James Bond meets Inception. Yeah. If you take sure. away if you take away all the crazy, trippy science fiction time dilation shit, this is a this is a James Bond movie. Straight up. And it really comes into focus when you get to about the middle point of the movie where you meet the James Bond villain named, uh, what, what the fuck's it? Sator. This dude is like the, he is the prototypical James Bond villain. Like in every single cliched way, he is a James Bond villain. Christopher Nolan wanted to make a James Bond film. He did. This was his James Bond film. And you can tell because, like, the entire movie takes place basically in Europe. There's huge chunks that takes place in Britain. Then they go to Singapore. Like, it, the whole feel of this movie is very James Bond-like in almost every way possible outside of the science fiction aspects, which are very heavy, granted, but... You can see what he was going for with this movie. This was a very clear path that he was trying to take, and he wanted to go, how do I take a James Bond movie and just tear it apart and reconstruct it at the molecular level and put it through a wormhole? And that's what we get with Tenet. It's a tough cookie to chew on. It's it is. No doubt. It is. Do you think so do you think uh because all I ever heard was, oh, Inception's too hard to understand. I hated Inception. I didn't get it. Blah, blah, blah. It's stupid. It didn't make sense. Was, blah, 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 blah. That's all I ever heard about Inception. Inception's one of my favorite movies. Do you think that Tenet will be thought of more like that or less like that than Inception? Because Tenet, in a lot of ways, is more confusing than Inception is. Yeah, well, I think both movies have uh, the similarity that they end with the what if, you mm-hmm. know, like the big, well, is Tenant in a time paradox or in they are the in a time loop where they di- they mess with like dark arts or something to try to save the end of the world and now they're in a loop where they're constantly saving the end of the world in one last like grand heist. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what I got from the end of after I really thought about it. Cause what, with Robert Pattinson's character, what he says at the end and especially what he says at the beginning with the drink order, you know, it's like, he's, he, what did he say? Uh, um, he'll have a diet Coke and he's like, how do you know? I want that. Uh, maybe I want a sparkling water. And he's just like, you don't though. Mm-hmm. And they and he like smiles and he they both smile and he's like, well, okay, that was weird, <laughs> but you, it's really the red herring, you know, where you realize at first you realize Robert Pattinson has like done this before. He knows everything about the guy, you know. Well, at first you would say, oh, maybe he's just some weirdo that did a little bit of research, but when you find a little bit more out, you're just like, oh, you know, that's the first instance where Christopher was kind of telling you 
that he's been here, done that. Yeah. Well, it becomes pretty clear early, like as soon as they do the uh, the Singapore job with uh, the con or whatever, where they're zip lining up the the skyscraper into their condo to put a gun to their head to ask them where the, the inverted bolts come from. Right at this early point of the movie, you can just tell that something is up with Robert Pattinson's character because according to this movie, he's just some random operator that was available for a job when the protagonist called his Q person on the phone to say, I need someone for a job. So yeah. it's just some random operator. And, you know, what you just brought up is is all well and good. He knows way too much, but you can kind of wish it away as, ah, he just does research. He's one of those weird guys, blah, 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 blah. Okay, true. But then you get to this job. This job is batshit insane. It makes no sense to do. It definitely makes no sense to do with the just some stranger that you just met that you have no ties to that you're just like, ah, well, you know, it's just a jo- any other job. No, this isn't just any other job. And his dedication to it, the way that he he acts like so friendly, like, oh, we're just we're just hanging out, bro. We're not doing a job. This isn't about the dollars. We're just we're just having fun. We're at camp. We're zip lining up a cliff together, just having fun. Like it had that vibe to it very early on. And that signaled to me that there is something up with Batman. Yeah. I didn't I, I I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew that he wasn't just some random operator. Yeah, I was really hoping that the beginning of the movie was going to tie in to the end, but it didn't. You know, where he initially was at the train tracks and he died. Well, I thought he was going to die and then he wakes up in the boat. Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to come full circle. Like we were going to really find out what was going on there, but. It just ends with fucking Pattinson being like, nah, bro, we're good. We've done this before. Mm-hmm. Peace out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a few different theories you can have on this movie. And one of the theories is that the the real life of this guy ends at those train tracks at the beginning of the movie. And literally, that he is in the afterlife after that. And everything else after that is just the 25 minutes of brain activity post-death that takes place. That could be That'd it. That'd be weird. There's, there's Why also... Why such a heady story for such a... Such, I mean... Well, I mean, yeah. you you think that... Uh, that uh, the guy who saves him from that first inverted bullet in the beginning of the movie during the opera job, you think that that's him inverted from the future right uh you know it is how do you know because once the movie starts to reverse it reveals who the two people pursuing them in the when when they start suiting up in that gear and they go into the reverse world and then they start trying to prevent themselves from uh doing what they're doing that's when you realize that it's that's who it was. Right, but I think it's Robert Pattinson that did it, not the protagonist. I think I was getting confused. I think it is Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Okay, okay. If that's so, what you're trying to get at, then yeah, you might yeah. be correct. 
That is what I'm getting at. I, I think that that was Robert Pattinson. I think the only time that we saw the gas mask Vader guy from when we were going through the first half of the movie in the forward direction, I think the only time that it was actually the protagonist was at the the vault where he gets blown in or blown out by the jet engine. You know what I'm talking about? Well, yeah, that's when Robert Pattinson actually sees him unmasked. Right. I think yeah. that's the only time that it was actually the protagonist in that. Sh- I think all the other times that they encountered him, it was Robert Pattinson in that suit. Possibly. I mean, it's just like you really can't know just because they well, both remember, have the masks on and they're well, both like complete in the voices mumbled. So it's like, I mean, you're probably right, but it's like you'll never really. Well, remember the guy, it. the guy in the gas mask takes a bullet for the protagonist. That would create a paradox, right? That would create, if it were him taking a bullet for himself, that would create a very bad paradox. But at the end of the movie, we have Robert Pattinson say, hey, this is the beginning of our relationship for you, but it's the end of our relationship for me. I have something I got to do. Peace. I think that's him about to bounce to go take that bullet for him and die. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most likely outcome. It's just so, I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this movie is fucking crazy. The whole welcome to the afterlife scene, when when we were doing the preview originally, we really focused in on that boat scene with him where he's like, welcome to the afterlife. And we had all these theories about what that meant and how the movie was going to go and like how crucial that moment was. That, that moment ended up being nothing to the movie. Isn't that weird? How pointless kind of that move. That- just some CIA spook shit. <laughs> and he's, well, dude, it was. He, he's all like the word is tenant. It'll open some doors and close others. It will bring you to salvation and also bring you to danger. Like, the word tenant never comes up again. Like this, this no, scene yeah, is. He says it a couple times ago. Yeah, kind of. But you know what I'm saying? Like, not really. Not in the way that this CIA spook implies on this boat. Yeah, they made it sound like it was some John Wick currency level shit. You know, like say this word. Yeah, it, it, get it, into some some clubs. <laughs> Let's be honest, man. You could cut that entire afterlife boat scene out of the movie, and you really w- it wouldn't make a big dent in what the movie is. Like it would almost be unnoticeable to the movie overall. Oh, for sure. I mean, they could have honestly started maybe with a five ten minute intro, some like weird, you know, iconic, you know, easy Hollywood movie intro. Like maybe get a car ad or something in there. And get a car at just start just just start at the hotel where he meets Robert Pattinson. It's super easy. <laughs> super easy. <laughs> yeah. It almost probably would have been better that way. Cause then you don't have that little pocket of the movie to be like, how is this gonna attach? How is this gonna connect? <laughs> mm-hmm. I really liked kind of the culty vibes this movie had though. It reminded me of like a David Lynch movie. I feel like I feel like Nolan was kind of channeling a little David Lynch with this movie in certain aspects. Like the way that characters would refer to the world as a twilight world, 
Like, they'd just randomly be, like, on the phone, just, like, talking casually, like, well, it is a Twilight world, you know? And then, like, 30 minutes later, some other character will say the same thing, kind of, in a different way. That shit reminded me of David Lynch, big time. Yeah, well, those are the spooks, right? Those are all the people that are using the word tenant and stuff and understand, Mm -hmm. you know, like... yeah. That's it's a code. It's like a herring, code word. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh huh. They never explain that though. It's a twilight world. Like you just hear that after you get to use tenant the first time, and then you're just like, from there on out, it's like, okay. Whenever you're about he, the protagonist is about to use the word tenant, people say it's a twilight world. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you think about like all the reverse action scenes? the action scenes at like reverse time. Were you impressed with those? Yeah, they were dope. Yeah. I really liked the, uh, um, the, uh, was it an airport? Is that an airport they were at? It's like a jewelry, like cargo hold area. Oh, the free port. It's like a museum. Yeah. Like ports. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was like a cargo area where planes come in for high-end art or something like that. Well, no, the Freeport, there was a Freeport that uh, fucking Sator was keeping his valuables in that was right next to an airport. And they took advantage of that by (laughs) 9-11-ing the... uh... Well, it had to be connected (laughs) to the building, right? Because the whole reason they blew it up is to activate the oxygen... uh, system a uh, killer system whatever that shit is well no what the, the, the free port the, room. the free port was just right next door to the airport so they hijacked oh, okay. the plane and just rammed the plane into this other building right, right next right, to right. it yeah it, gotcha. it's like one of those things where it's like oh yeah of course they're right next to each other yeah. that's really convenient but, but that whole that whole reversal scene was dope i thought that yeah. was the coolest part of the movie to be honest yeah i agree i i think that my favorite part of this movie overall revolves around the plane job and all the things that happen in that free port both both going forward and going backwards yeah it's a cool theme too like initially when the movie starts and you see like the opera go up go bad and you initially see well supposedly robert pattinson coming to save uh the protagonist. It's a really cool theme, just seeing like the black suits. Kind of reminds me of Hunk in Umbrella Corp. From Red- <laughs> like coming in to clean up some corporation's uh, dirty work, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the ending. It felt both overwhelming and underwhelming at the same time. Because it was just the the start of the movie. I think that was probably the point of it, but it's just like Christopher Nolan would say that. He's like, dummy. (laughs) That is the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) But it's crazy, like when you really look at it and they make it clear that he is at he is at the beginning, but Robert Pattinson is at the end, and then you realize that Robert Pattinson for that to be true, that means Robert Pattinson was going backwards this whole time, and now the protagonist will be going forwards from now on, and that he will eventually recruit Robert Pattinson in the future. Yeah. And everything that was done in this movie that Robert Pattinson did 
basically was to help the protagonist save the female lead of the movie from the evil James Bond villain drug lord guy. So that she could be with him, or not be with him, escape him, and raise her kid, Max. Now, I don't know about you, Broadcaster Nichols, but I felt like it was strongly implied at the end of this movie that Max is actually Robert Pattinson. And that yes, Max yeah. grows up to be Robert Pattinson, and that this is one of the craziest time loop paradoxes of all time. Yeah, I actually forgot about that, but there is a point in the movie where they kind of like rub that in your face, and I, I thought about that for a brief second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, but again, it's just one of those things where it's like ninety percent, maybe, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely like there's no definitive he did christopher this perfectly. just really missed christopher just missed like a tiny bit in this movie just another tack it's like a poster with three or a poster with three tacks in the wall you know mm-hmm. just one of the quarters kind of flopping mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just didn't quite land it yeah yeah but uh man over overall though i really f- thought that this was this felt like a spiritual sequel to Inception. It isn't a sequel to Inception, but the spirit of Inception is present in this movie to a large extent, to the point where I know for sure that when I go through the future and ask people, hey, what'd you think about Tenet? I am going to get the same answers that I got with Inception, but worse. <laughs> yeah, I think Inception was a lot more well-received. I think Tenet got a bad rap, just how the climate it came in, and then also it didn't help that it was probably his most confusing movie ever. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> those two things kind of didn't play well for it. It's really confusing, but it has a lot of payoffs, which is interesting because a lot of the time confusing movies don't have payoffs, and that's why they're so confusing. This is one of those movies that are both confusing and has lots of payoffs at the same time. Like when you start going backwards in time after he goes into the inversion machine and you start saying, oh, so the reason that weird ass car reversed into the scene earlier and did this weird thing was because that was actually him reversing through time. And like there's all these little moments that he gives you in this movie where you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But it's like a fucking drop in the ocean. Because of how much weird shit is involved in this movie, nothing's enough. Like, at the end of the day, with all well, of the good information he gives you for you to base your opinion off this movie, there are so many question marks still. Well, I well, yeah, I mean, I think when you at least get halfway to three quarters of the way through the movie, you just kind of ask yourself, why is this all happening? Mm-hmm. They never really tell you that. You know, temporal cold war. Yeah. Well, they kind of hint (laughs) to it, but it's like at the same time, it's like, okay, did you guys fuck up? And there's some time loop going on. And that's what this movie is telling you is happening. Or is it trying to tell you that like, this is just the power of this technology or like, (laughs) it's just weird. You know, it's like usually when, like something like the reverse tech, the the gate to the reverse world. That's like a basis on a movie, right? Mm. Like there's a synopsis on this one thing. Like when you see Star Wars coming down, and they're like, 
Princess Leia is running from Darth Vader, who is a Sith Lord, blah, 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 and trying to kill the Republic. You know, it sets some foundation for you, right? But that thing, which is the foundation for Tenet, is kept super elusive and never never really tells you why it was discovered. And, well, they might have told you why it was discovered or how it was discovered, but they don't really tell you, like, what the fuck they're doing. They're just like, yeah, we're up to some mischievous shit in the reverse world, and we're trying to get our... <laughs> you know, it. there's no real weight to it, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. is There's no weight to this storyline. Well, they do... They tell you some stuff, but it's very... It is vague, and it's not, like, super tangible, but... They talk about this algorithm, like the whole the whole ending is basically, oh, the people that started Tenant are from the future, and they fu- they they fucked up the world, and the world's not going to be able to be livable, so they have to go backwards through time now to stop it, and that that's going to kill the the current and the past, and this is where it gets all really confusing because it's like if they're just going backwards through time. Wouldn't they just coexist with the past and like exactly? But they're like, like acting like it would destroy them. But then also they're like, well, the guy who invented Tenet also invented this algorithm that makes the whole world match your reversal. And he was ashamed of what he did, so he broke it into six pieces of a Triforce and spread it into eight dungeons so oh, that Zelda cool. and Link could go find it, like and rebuild the Triforce and. That whole thing was like, okay, I like it, but it seemed really kind of forced in and very poorly explained. And maybe even, I mean, I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan, but I'll say it, a tad contrived, perhaps. For sure. Uh, Especially when you see the device, like towards the end of the movie they do like the invasion of Strassel 12 or whatever where where the device is and they have like the forward team and the backwards team working together which by the way I thought the premise of that was really cool but I thought the execution was a little fucked up it didn't quite so work weird. as well as it should have but when they pull that device out the the supposed algorithm device that can change the world to permanently reverse it just looked like a weird fucking series of tubes stuck together with glue. Like, yeah, what the I... fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> That's the algorithm of the universe that reverses time? What? Don't get a close-up on the monster. You'll see the zipper, you know? like That's a good yeah, example. <laughs> the zipper was big. <laughs> zipper was very big. Yeah, it's just, at the end of the... If, if all that is true, you know... And that's the angle. Then why at the end of the movie does it just keep going? Why is it a time loop? Mm-hmm. You know, like if what they did fixed it, then shouldn't there have been some intervention from the people in the future to come in and be like, all right, we did it. This is the timeline or there should have been like some Thanos Thanos yeah. snap, you know, and <laughs> and like, you're like, OK, I get it. This is what they were working for. But at the end of the movie, it's just like they're getting ready to do it again, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, why? You know, you just spent a whole movie to set that up and you didn't give us any even anything close to closure. 
<laughs> I'm going to say another thing that's, that might be considered heresy for a Christopher Nolan fan to say, but dare I say that perhaps this ending felt like it may have been designed to set up a sequel? <laughs> oh, no doubt. But Nolan it, doesn't do that usually. Yeah, man. he doesn't. It's like, it's funny you say that because it's a movie that you, when you watch it, you're like, it has to have a sequel. Something's un, not explained here. Like we need to, we need to have something finished here. And then on the other hand, it's just like Nolan never does sequels. So it's like this, you just think it's never going to get a sequel, which makes it kind of infuriating. You're just mm-hmm. like, why does this movie exist? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so what you're left with is like the the vague uh interpretive are we in a time loop was any of that real are we all dead was were we dead the whole time was no one ever alive is this a simulation you go into that like sort of ethereal orbit that you go into often with movies like this but with Nolan he usually has an edge to his movies that's more defining he has like a a more defining edge to his paintbrush than other people that do these types of movies. It feels like he either was going for something different that I'm not really comprehending, or he fell victim to sort of loser mentality with the way he designed this ending, where he kind of went with how other people would have done it, not like the real Christopher Nolan way to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, he is. I mean, you get older. I I feel like it could have just been one of those ideas that got too big, you know. Maybe he got too close to the project, couldn't step yeah. away, and like kind of see what was going on. Yeah, and and I'll say I'll tell you right now, Tenet does feel like the Death Stranding of movies. For sure, it's not a bad movie. It's really it's not. not. It's just it's it's just like it's, it's just not weird as cool. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> It set it gives you the the desire for it to be great. You know, you you like you, you get this like feeling from the movie, it's like, yes, you're about to watch something that is bigger than you. You can't you you can't even even remotely think of what's about to happen, right? But you can. Once you watch it, you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, man. Well, before we get to uh, our star-studded game-breaking segment, the hit, the miss, and the whiff, I have one question for you. And it's been bothering me since I finished watching this movie. And that is, and we're going to pull a tenant here, what we started this review with, the death pill, the afterlife pill. I, when I started this, this segment, I asked you, what the fuck was the afterlife pill? Well, I want to expand on that question now. The afterlife pill was taken by the protagonist in the beginning of the movie. After the opera job was botched, his team was captured by some Russian operatives, and uh, they took the pill from him, but then he manages to get to it, eat it, and die. But then he wakes up on the boat with the CIA spook who tells him, welcome to the afterlife. 
The words tenant now be gone, thought. Okay, <laughs> cool. My question now is, so what the fuck happens if Sator takes it? Because this movie tells you Sator takes it, the world ends. Because when he takes it, it activates some thing in the nuclear place that's going to destroy the device, which is activates the device and turns the world reverse and you know, the, the future people that invented Tenet win, right? But are we not sure that Sator himself won't just wake up on the same boat with the same CIA spook who says, welcome to the afterlife? Because it was the same fucking pill. So why does it send the protagonist from the train station to a boat in the Atlantic, but for Sator, the villain... It just erases him and erases time and blah, 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 blah. It seems like there are two different sets of rules for the same plot device, and I don't like that. Well, that's why I think it's a time loop. I mean, that because the loop doesn't allow Sator to take the pill. That's the whole mm. point. I feel like that's the paradox they're in or something like they're stuck in this time loop to prevent the end of the world. And the end of the world was Sator taking the pill, right? Supposedly like, so I don't know. Such a weird one. I, I know I'm totally wrong about this movie. I also watched <laughs> it like a month ago and I'm trying to recall everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that one. You might be right. It could just be a time loop paradox thing. And But then when you start you start using that as an excuse, it's like, okay, so is everything just a time loop paradox thing? Like, it's a slippery slope, man. <laughs> time That's loop why paradoxes. I feel like it needs a sequel. Yeah, I, There's like a linchpin that needs to be explained here or needs to be removed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well probably a bunch of smart intellectual people on the webs right now there's like these fucking idiots <laughs> fucking idiots i would say that's probably true usually but with this movie this movie is so out there and so heady that even the trolls are probably scratching their heads and don't know what to how to even critique someone critiquing it because of how maybe they are right there it is. <laughs> yeah like fuck i don't know man but uh, that being said, Broadcaster Nichols, it's a new year. And with that new year comes a new hit, Miss and Whiff. What is your hit for Tenet? My hit for Tenet. Would probably actually be the reversal power itself. It's a cool thing. Yeah. Like it's not time travel. Well, I mean, it is time travel, but it's a new take on it. And maybe I'm having an epiphany here. <laughs> maybe that's what Christopher Nolan was. Maybe that's the real problem with this movie. Maybe Christopher Nolan was trying to do a time travel movie, but he wanted to do it the Christopher Nolan way. And it just was really <laughs> weird, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's it's like I, I'm kind of approaching it, the hit, in, like uh, 
seeing a new superpower in a comic. It's very rare, you know, for like someone to give a, a hero or a villain a power and you're like, well, that hasn't been done yet. And Christopher Nolan kind of did it with this movie. This is a unique, weird, dark magic he has going on in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It, I feel like it's this generation's version of bullet time from the matrix. I remember when the matrix first came out in the 1999 or whatever, bullet time was a big deal. Like people flipped out about it. Like it was this crazy new special effect that no one knew what to make of. I feel like what he's done in this movie with the inverted time is sort of this generation's version of bullet time. For sure. It's just this weird, unique thing you've never seen before. But the caveat being, I don't think it's going to be copied as much as Bullet Time was. Because I don't know if you remember this or not, but like so many movies and video games and random shit tried to copy Bullet Time from Matrix. (laughs) It was it was one of the biggest copycats of all time. I don't think people are going to be copying this one as much. They don't got the balls to copy something like this. Same thing. Same thing with 300 in the slow-mo fast. Oh yeah. Motion thing. I don't know. What do they call it? You know, where you slow down for just a second, then speed up for a second, then yeah. slow down again. <laughs> <laughs> they told like 300 made that. That was Snyder, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Zack Snyder. Yeah, Zack yep. Snyder. Yeah. Like he made that shit happen. And like, I don't know how many fucking movies stole that from him. Wouldn't it be funny if the Snyder cut of Justice League is just them putting that into it? Like for all the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, I told you this was going to be Justice League <laughs> Snyder cut. This is just Justice League X 300. <laughs> We're doing a McDonald's collab. Pick up your happy meal tonight. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, my hit is a little bit more specific. Uh, I'm going to go with the plane job. So the entire sequence with the plane start to end, then end to start in that order. I loved it. I loved the the balls of Christopher Nolan to do a terrorist adjacent airplane crashing thing (laughs) because i don't know if you know this or not people don't really do that like the the specter of 9-11 still looms a little bit people are (laughs) afraid to do terrorist related airplane stuff they don't you don't see it ever and christopher nolan's like we're gonna run right through that my beard (laughs) (laughs) and also he made the person driving the plane basically be an arab he knew what time. he was doing. Like, he just, knew what he was doing. Like the the balls on this guy to do this like this was really funny. It's so counter, especially in a time now, mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst time ever to pull this move, Nolan. <laughs> yeah, and he just goes right through that stop sign and laughs at it as he flies by it. So I, oh, yeah. I admired that, and I just enjoyed all of the the effects, the practical effects, the CG effects, the acting, everything involved with the plane job. I just thought it was just a, the shining moment of the movie for me, personally. That being said, Broadcaster Nichols, for every hit, there is also a miss. What is your miss for Tenet? Uh, I'm going to say i don't know her name i forget her name but the main <laughs> chick 
the she female, was female. Listen, the, the female, female lead. lead. Yes. Yeah, the female lead. You know, I am woman. Hear me roar. You know, like I get it. Mm-hmm. Get it going. I got nothing against her. I feel like she was the weakest, most poorly written character in the movie. It was just like I'm here with this child, and. I don't like my husband and my husband just happens to be the bond villain, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's like they, it's like he wanted to make a bond villain, but with not a hot bond chick (laughs) or bond villain chick to like get down with and have a nice sex scene. Mm -hmm. Like what happened to those times? Yeah. Now we just get a single mother who gets mentally abused like that's not cool to watch. I'm not down with that. That doesn't make yeah. me hard. It, it also, <laughs> and also, it's super unrealistic. Like people like Sator have like girls that are basically like Jessica Alba, circa 1999, like Dark Angel era Jessica Alba. Like that's what they have waiting in the wings. That's not even their primary target for the night. That's just what they have sitting on the bench. Yeah. And we're supposed to believe that this guy's obsessed with this middle-aged, you know, fairly attractive, but nothing special woman, like a 6.5 out of 10, maybe a 7 if she's your type. Like, nothing special, though. We're supposed to believe he's so obsessed with her. He's like, if I can have you, nobody can have you. Like, what? Fuck you, man. You're full of shit, man. (laughs) You're full of it. For sure. It just goes to show you another part of the movie, isn't it? It's like, well, maybe, you know, if you explained him more, maybe is he like some, what, oh God, Vandal Savage type character mm-hmm. lives throughout time, you know? Mm-hmm. And he realized his wife back then was the best thing he ever had. And that's why he's like so crazy about her. That would explain something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like this rich dude mm-hmm. <laughs> could have anything else. <laughs> Pay off that wife and have the kid leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then, like, the whole end scene with her, like, setting up his assassination and everything was just, like, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying this time-traveling Bond villain is going to fall for, like, this Looney Tunes-style trap, like, Wiley Coyote set up for Roadrunner. Okay, it was just a little, eh. And then, on top of all that, the female lead was not a great actress in this movie. She overacted several times in this movie (laughs) to the point. That's why she stood out to me to begin with. I was like, all right, you're on watch lady. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Like she, she was overacting all the time. She wasn't very earnest in her delivery of any of her lines. And it's just like, it felt like she was acting in a different movie. Well, it kind of felt like when you when she first got involved, you would you didn't think she was going to be a big part of the movie. No, because how she bad of an actress she was. I thought critical. she was a side yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, so that's my uh, miss. <laughs> well, that is funny because when I first wrote my miss down, that was going to be my miss too, but I changed it last second, and now I'm glad I did. So we're not going to double dip on our misses. My miss is the totally normal reversion of inversion within the inversion that is never explained in Tenant. So this is the fact that once he inverts himself, the protagonist, he begins going backwards through time, but two times he stops being inverted and becomes 
normally oriented in time. But they never explain how, or why, or when. It just happens, and you're just supposed to know it happened. That, we talked about this earlier a bit, that is, I think, the biggest misstep this movie makes, and it's really, in my mind, what kind of takes it down from Masterpiece. Because I think this movie could have been a masterpiece if a few dominoes fell in the right spot differently. But this one domino is a big sticking point for me. It makes the second half of the movie a little nonsensical. If Sure, if you pick up on everything and you know for sure what's happening, it's not as nonsensical. But you got to imagine 99% of people have no fucking idea when or where they stop inverting or begin inverting once the inversion happens at the halfway point of the movie. They don't fucking know. No one knows. You're just, it just happens, and you just have to, like, pick up on these tiny little clues that show you, oh, no, they're going forward through time now, not backwards. Yeah. At best, you could say it, you you could say it's just poorly done time cuts that don't yeah are not labeled correct visually labeled correctly on the worst end though it kind of shows like a lack of uh, wanting continuity with your storyline you know like yeah you just you got like lazy at the end of the movie like you rushed the last few scenes of the movie and you just didn't give a fuck if it didn't add up you know, it's or like, well, the studio said, "What this movie's three hours long? <laughs> we need to cut this down to two and a half hours." And the thirty minutes they cut was what explains this shit. True, perhaps. I don't know why studios are afraid of three-hour movies. I don't know either. And if, if any will, movie will deserved three it. hours, it was this one. Fucking a! <laughs> Didn't Titanic get three hours? I think Titanic was the original three-hour movie, wasn't it? Yeah. Fuck Titanic. Fuck Titanic. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a great movie. At certain points of Tenet, I did feel like I was hearing Celine Dion singing in the background, but that might have been a hallucination. My boy Billy Zane is misunderstood <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> Billy Zane! <laughs> he was being swindled by that grifter Leonardo. <laughs> oh, shit. On that note, broadcaster Nichols, what in the world could your whiff be? I think the whiff is the ending. It's like, it's, it feel it's like half empty. It's like a glass half empty, Mm -hmm. not half full, you know, it's setting it up question mark for a sequel. It's telling you that this whole movie, what it, it, it's like trying to put the cherry on top in this weird way that there was a reverse and a forward going the whole time. And that the beginning or the end is the beginning and the beginning is the end. But then it just makes the whole weight of the movie pointless. And there's it's just like this. It's just like, so <laughs> why does this movie exist really? Like why? Like we really, <laughs> I, and I feel like that's the whiff because it's like, I want to like this movie but there's yeah. nothing really holding the movie down from just going up into the sky and disappearing. <laughs> yeah. It's almost it's almost like uh if the matrix 
was only made to do bullet time and there was no good storyline behind the matrix and it was just an excuse to do bullet time in an action movie that's kind of how <laughs> tenet feels a little bit like it was just an excuse to do these crazy reverse time inversion effects yeah it's just like approach christopher nolan approaches the studio <laughs> so i have this really cool effect I think we can use it. All right, just go fucking make your movie. All right. <laughs> Comes back with fucking tenant. All right. So anyways, I want to make a movie around this cool effect. <laughs> so, wait a minute. You said you're. <laughs> oh, shit. <sighs> My whiff. Is going to be a very specific scene. And I thought that the scene was the most... (laughs) In a movie full of unbelievable shit, this was the most unbelievable scene to me, and for all the wrong reasons. And (laughs) this whole scene is just kind of legendary to me for all the wrong reasons. So so this dude, the Sator, goes from like, hey, you fucking my wife and him be like, nah, dude. And him be like, let me tell you how this is going to go. I'm going to take you to a field. I'm going to cut your throat. I'm going to stick your balls in your throat. I'm going to watch you choke on your own balls in your throat. Then I'm going to watch you try and pull your balls out of your throat as you choke on your own blood and die to dude. Let's go sailing tomorrow on my boat, dude. Yeah, brah. Two minutes later, like this is one of the weirdest transitions of all time. Like him literally talking about stuffing his own balls into his throat to be like, "Hey, man, want to go sailing with me?" It's just crazy, and I get it. Villains do though. It is. You're right, and it's one of the many reasons he's like a stereotypical (laughs) Bond villain. (laughs) And we're supposed to believe this whole transition happened merely because he said, "What do you know about the opera?" Which is just like, okay. (laughs) whatever dude i get it but it's like i don't get it it's just it's a little too you know convoluted (laughs) i don't even know if that's the right term i don't know what the term is because this movie is so convoluted it seems like things within the convolution should have a different layer term to it because it's just i don't know but either way they go sail. None of what I'm talking about now is even my whiff, by the way. This is just the setup to my whiff. <laughs> um, so we get... This is pre-whiff. We do like this Fast and Furious 5 rough cut to the boat trip where like they're on they're on these sailing boats and they're like doing this crazy sailboat shit where like they they raise them up off the ocean and they become like these glider boats and I'm just, it's... They're real. This scene is like something... (laughs) I don't care. This scene... (laughs) (laughs) It reminded me of Point Break. It did. Like, it was just a little, like, like the cartooniness of Keanu Reeves and Kurt Russell, like, having fucking masculine surf-offs on the ocean with each other (laughs) after threatening each other. That's kind of what this reminded me of a little bit. Good job, Nolan. You're bringing it back. (laughs) And so here's my actual whiff. It took me a long time to get to this, but the preamble was worth it. Okay. All of this shit being said, we're at the end of the boat race scene where every, like you just imagine like some 80 song, like from uh, top guns playing, like 
playing with the boys, you know, like with the volleyball going up in the air and shit. I feel like that's playing during the scene in my head, even though it's not happening in the movie. And out of nowhere, when the whole scene's about to be done, everyone had a great time on their floating airboats. The the female lead just like rips off his cord and says, Die, Sator, and just kicks him off the boat 300 style. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> Okay, that was really unexpected and really cool, and I really like this. That was awesome. Said some double tongue shit too, remember? Yes, yes, it was crazy. She and was the- just like, <laughs> and then fucking cut that rope. <laughs> <laughs> fucking protagonist turned around. What the fuck? <laughs> now, my whiff is the fact that she thought that this was going to kill him. She thought that pushing off a healthy male adult in a life jacket into the ocean was just going to kill him like she was pushing him into hot lava. And to the point where the protagonist jumps off the ship to quote-unquote save him, and she's like, no, don't save his life. And I'm just sitting here like, bitch, he can swim to shore. What are you talking about saving his life? You just kicked him off his boat. He has a life jacket on. But then you go down there and it just shows him laying face first in the water with the life jacket on like he's really dying. Yeah, well, I think he was probably knocked out. From what? Hitting the water going that fast. Please, those boats were like 10 feet off the water. Yeah, but they were going like... Dude, I've taken I think harder a hundred miles per hour or something bro, like that. Plus, I've taken I've taken harder crashes on wave runners. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. No, you haven't. How is the fastest you ever been going on a wave runner? Forty miles per hour. Yeah, I just told you those boats were going close to a hundred. Those boats will not, dude. Those yeah, are not going a hundred. Those miles are per like. Hour. Yeah, well, you can look it up, but they're going clo- They're going pretty damn fast, and I'm pretty damn sure, like. They're going at a speed, essentially, like getting close to getting thrown out of a moving car like that. Water's not going to feel like water (laughs) when you hit it enough to fucking pretty much knock you out. All right. Well, it sounds like that you are a uh, you are a I'm a nautical expert. All right. Well, no, I don't think you're a nautical effort. I I think that what is happening right now is that you are on the payroll (laughs) and you are defending Christopher Nolan to the death. (laughs) I respect that broadcaster, Nichols. But in my opinion, I want some Nolan money. <laughs> in my opinion, that whole scene was so laughable. I literally laughed when I saw him face down in the water pretending to be dead after that. Like, I literally started laughing while I was watching the movie. How absurd that looked. <laughs> oh, my wife just pushed me off the boat. I'm in a life jacket. I'm dead. Well, I thought it was one of two things. She was hoping he was going to hit one of those blades and fucking get decapitated. That would work (laughs) for me. Or that they weren't going to notice him getting pushed off the boat in time to fucking rescue him or something. Like like she was hoping the protagonist was just going to go along with it and they were just going to sail like miles and miles away (laughs) and not figure it out. (laughs) That was what I thought was going on. Yeah. Yeah, well, it gets to the point where uh, <laughs> after this scene, they join the. He goes back to the boat and he calls the protagonist into his little drug lord den. He's like, "So you saved my life. I owe you one now, dude. Let's work together." And I'm just like, 
bro, he just jumped off a boat and went and like gave you moral support in the water. Like (laughs) this dude did not go into space to blow up a meteor that was coming down on your planet. This isn't Armageddon. Okay. Like you fell off a boat. (laughs) Then his explanation, like he's like, okay, you can repay me by not killing your wife and him like being, you think it was her fault. I was the one who let it happen. I'm just like, oh god, what, what am I watching right now? That that whole sequence of events was the worst part of the movie, in my opinion. It threw me out of it to the point I was just like cackling in my head, like seeing how absurd this was. And I'm someone that specializes in the absurd, and I still was just like not sold on this. Yeah, it was a really lame attempt to set up like some idea of control. Mm-hmm. I'm in control. I I know what's going on here. I was like, okay, cool. Then, like, you're in so much control. Then why couldn't you set something else up to the point where you wouldn't get pushed out of a boat by your wife? <laughs> and if- I let her do that, broadcaster Nichols. It was all part of my plan. And if you know, if you're in so much control, then you know this fucking moment haunts her for the rest of the fucking movie. And she comes back to stab you in the fucking neck silently and then jumps off the boat and swims to the fucking Bermuda Triangle. I don't fucking know where she goes. <laughs> yeah, there's another wrinkle in the fucking plot of this movie. She just jumps off like, the future version, just jumps off the ship like a, a diving dolphin into the ocean and just disappears into the ether. Like, okay. <laughs> Sure. They set it up so Corey too. They're like, "Wow, look at that strong, independent woman just diving off into the water without a care in the world." And it's well, just like, "Wait a minute, I'm that woman." Well, like we talked about her overacting in this movie. Yeah, One of I the know. parts she overacts is when she's talking. I saw a woman escape from the boat as I approached. I was jealous. She looked a of lot her. like me. She was so beautiful and strong and bold, and she left the ship like I always wanted to. And I'm just like, oh god, oh where's my god, the no. that I actually have. <laughs> oh, where's the pain that's too bad? Oh bullshit! Uh, broadcaster Nichols, as you know, with all of our reviews, we use the official, patented Nick Cage rating system. On that system, Broadcaster Nichols, what do you rate Christopher Nolan's Tenet? With a heavy heart. Because I don't think this movie deserves to be related to the convoluted nature of Christopher Nolan's epic Tenet. But (laughs) I'm going to give it a B. The Rock. Oh, a lot more straightforward of a movie. Mm. Simpler times, if you will. But the letter it represents on this grand scale of Cage is appropriate. <laughs> is appropriate <laughs> for the movie tenant. <laughs> I'm going to give it a super weak Con Air. I'm going to give it the A rank, but, you know, a poor man's A rank. I think that the strong points of the movie... Because I'm such a sci-fi nerd and I'm such a sucker for time dilation that I'm probably giving it a Homer rating here. But this movie was really good. It just had some really 
crazy deep flaws within itself, but was still super good at the same time. So it's a weird movie to rate, but yeah, it's so deep. You couldn't help but have plot holes. (laughs) And when I give it the rating, it's like, am I rating what I think the movie was, or am I rating what the movie actually was? You know, (laughs) this movie is one of those movies where you don't really know what you saw a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so, so with that, with a heavy heart as well, I will give it a poor man's very weak con air. A very weak A minus. And with that, we will close out. I will say, though, I will say that if this movie does end up getting a sequel and it's definitive, it's like, okay, this movie was setting up a sequel, then I'll give it an A. I will revise my grade to an A. (laughs) But if this does stay standalone, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Christopher. (laughs) 